Welcome, everyone, to The Score Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Boone, the lead fantasy analyst at The Score. Appreciate you listening in and downloading the show today. We're going to be talking about our favorite late-round players to target, and I teased it on Tuesday's episode. We have a very special guest with us for the second show of the week. It is not his first time in The Score Fantasy Football Podcast, but it has been a little while. So let's welcome back Rich Rebar from Sharp Football Analysis. He has one of the most recognizable Twitter handles out there, at Lord Reeves. Rich, thanks for jumping back on with us, man. How are you doing? Just a couple of weeks to go here before we have real meaningful football games happening. Yeah, Justin, what's going on? Uh, thanks for having me on. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely ready here. Uh, I'm ready for to, to, to start adjusting to what's happening. You know, after the eight months of talking about what we believe is going to happen, I'm someone that, you know, I do a weekly article where I'm basically dissecting every game anyway. So I feel like my value is going to is gonna come a lot more in the upcoming weeks here. So I'm definitely ready to start adjusting and recalibrating to what happens on the field here. Yeah, that's my favorite part of everything, too. Like, I love when the preseason shows up and now we have, like, actual things we can react to and not just all the speculation from the offseason. And then in the regular season, it just, it means so much more and staying on top of that stuff. And early in the season, especially, being willing to acknowledge where you might have been wrong and sort of pivot, like, that is just so important. And I think a lot of people make the mistake of sticking to their priors during that time. And that can really hurt your fantasy teams and your fantasy analysis. But I want to start off nice and easy for you here, Rich. I've been writing these preseason takeaway articles. Uh, We've been doing the biggest preseason takeaways on the podcast as well. And on the show, I hit, you know, 10 to 12 items in the article. I go like way deeper. I think I mentioned 50 players or something like that this week. And I write about that many because it's just so much easier for me, right? I can just toss all my thoughts on the page. I'm going to force you to pick your biggest fantasy takeaway from the preseason so far. We've had two weeks here. If you want to mention a couple things, that's okay. I'm not going to stop you. But what's been the most notable thing that you've learned through two weeks of preseason games? Uh, to me, to me, I'm really just kind of look, looking at kind of some of the the offensive changes that are kind of uh, we're getting a little tickle for uh, early on in preseason. Um, I got a couple teams we can run through. I think first starting with the Chiefs, obviously with trading Tyreek Hill, we knew this is going to be a different structured offense. And the early kind of sign so far with the Chiefs is that they might be running a more like heavier offense, especially to combat you know a lot of what teams have done to Patrick Mahomes the past two years. I mean, we hear a lot about too high safety right it's been like kind of a buzzword the last years the Chiefs are one of the teams that actually see a lot of too high safety post snap a lot of teams actually don't when we hear too high safety looks it's typically pre-snap and then a lot of NFL still single coverage up high but the Chiefs are one of these teams that see too high safeties at an alarming rate weight by far the most in the league and so far early in the preseason with Patrick Mahomes under center their use of 11 personnel is just way down uh, under Patrick Mahomes the previous three years it was at 66 percent so far in the preseason again small sample we're only talking you know 40 dropbacks here but it's only at 51 percent their use of multiple tight ends is way up and I find that intriguing because we know the best player on their offense post Tyree Kill now is Travis Kelsey and it's this is a way to get Travis Kelsey I think in more advantageous kind of offensive leverage spots uh, very similar to how the 49ers used Debo Samuel last year but in inverse fashion because we saw Kelsey kind of last year start teams started to combat him a little more and granted he is going to be 33 during the season uh, but now we can get him more matched up on linebackers, uh, you know, and, and, and safeties now more than getting guys, you know, running this bracket coverage where he's lined up typically split out wide as a slot receiver. So in two wide receiver sets, I mean, Travis Kelsey, the previous three years versus just, you know, one tight end sets is absolutely smashed. His target per route rate is higher. Uh, his 
inline rate is higher, his A dots higher, his yards per out runner higher. He's not a guy I typically like kind of gravitate towards. So I'm not really much of an early tight end drafter, but I do think that this is rational coaching playing out, uh, you know, to their best player. And it's a nice indication here. Uh, also, you look at just some like outskirts. I mean, Minnesota, we knew they were going to be with Kevin O'Connell coming over, uh, more of an 11 personnel team so far in the preseason. They're at 72% 11 personnel. They were just a little over 41% last year. A lot of people, you know, have pointed out that this is a signal for KJ Osborne becoming a full-time player, potentially having some contingent value also later in drafts if Adam Thielen or Justin Jefferson were to get hurt in season like when Thielen did get last year. But also don't forget, I mean, this is a significant impact on Dalvin Cook. Since Dalvin Cook entered the NFL, he is just 29th in the NFL in rushing attempts out of 11 personnel. But when he does run out of 11 personnel in those lighter boxes, uh, he averages five and a half yards per carry. He's fourth in the NFL in EPA per rush. Uh, more recently in the NFL, he's he's fifth, seventh, and first in EPA per rush out of 11 personnel the past three seasons. So this is definitely uh, a, a nice little alleviation for the Minnesota offensive line, which particularly hasn't been good and still isn't that great objectively, uh, you know, on paper this season to get him in some opportunities where he can face lighter boxes compared to, you know, years past. Uh, you know, teams like the Dolphins, we've got a little bit of signal. This is a team that's going to be a lot more multiple than previous iterations of the Mike Shanahan uh, you know offense have been this, this tree uh, this team's gonna run a lot more 11 personnel too than than previous versions we saw this happen last year in season with the 49ers midway through the season as part of the Debo role and getting Juwan Jennings out on the field more uh, you know as a slot receiver um, there the first signal was immediately that they went out and signed Cedric Wilson after he's a career slot player which gave us a big signal that they were going to move Jalen Watt out of the slot anyways before the Tyree Tyree Kill trade uh, so I'm definitely interested in the Dolphins uh, definitely you know what we've seen from the Bears this Bears offense under Luke Getze we've seen it it's it's already been reigning Justin Fields in where Justin Fields led the NFL in depth of target as a passer he was really an all or, all or nothing passer his depth of target has almost been slashed in half. And granted, small samples here, but this is where you see, like, this would be an emphasis on getting the ball into the shallow and intermediate areas of the field. Uh, and, you know, we kind of heard Aaron Rodgers talk about Luke Getze and him, him being at a pivotal point in attacking the, you know, the middle area of the field as well. So uh, those are all things I'm kind of looking at. Uh, one interesting thing, too, the, the Falcons, they played last night. The Falcons so far have run uh, 25 snaps out of pistol, which is kind of pretty interesting. The rest of the league outside of the Ravens has run just eight so far in the preseason. Uh, so giving Desmond Ritter and Marcus Mariota, I mean, this is a new wrinkle that like Arthur Smith, definitely something that they're working on. It's going to be a part of their offense. Uh, we might talk about Cordell Patterson too at some point later in the show, but uh, definitely something to keep, you know, uh, an eye on here because the Falcons are definitely going to try to find a way to get creative with the limitations they have uh, on talent offensively during the season. Well, this is one of the reasons why I love having you on, Rich, because I always feel like when I go on other shows, I run long. I want to put every single detail <laughs> that I have in my brain out there, right? And I don't want to miss anything. I feel like I could have just let you go. You would have done every single team in the NFL, and then we could have just ended the podcast. Like, you hit on, what, five teams there? And you did it in such, like, an incredibly concise and informative way. That is fantastic. I'm with you on a lot of those. I mean, that Vikings offense is another one that I think we're probably going to talk about a bit here because I think that's one that I'm targeting a little bit in hopes that that new coaching staff is going to help them out and improve, maybe give a little more volume for some of those deeper options in the offense. And you already touched on a couple of those. Um, the Travis Kelsey thing I wanted to go back to real quick. 
Where do you stand on, I know there's a lot of people out there right now that are talking about his usage in the preseason, and some people think, well, it's down in the preseason, that's not a big deal, it's the preseason, you're not going to you know, put too much on your veteran tight ends play during preseason games. Some people are pointing to it and saying, well, this could be concerning. Based on what you were saying earlier, I'm wondering whether you just feel like if the efficiency could go up a little bit, and even if he is held out a little more, that could kind of cancel out. Yeah, I mean, you look at Travis Kelsey as he's hit his 30s here. Uh, his snaps have gone down every year. Uh, 95% in 2018, down to 93% to 86% to 82% last year. There's uh, definitely some load management going on, but I, I feel like it's going to just enhance him, right? Like they're, they know he's a pivotal part of the offense, so if they can alleviate having him in maybe on rundowns and stuff like that. Now, you don't want it to become a tell, like if Travis Kelsey's off the field, they're going to run the football. But getting him off the field for some of those snaps, I don't feel like is a bad thing. Um, you know, with Kelsey, I think it always comes down to just opportunity cost and where you are in drafts. Because the thing which you're going to take, if you're going to take Travis Kelsey, you're bypassing a wide receiver and a running back. We just know how pivotal it is to have multiple players at those positions. Uh, so that's still like the, the old argument that comes down to it with Travis Kelsey. Like, how comfortable are you taking the potential of having, uh, you know, the positional leverage of a tight end or, you know, the insulation of knowing like, oh, I'm going to definitely more need more than two and three wide receivers. I want to stack as much talent as I can at those positions. And I love Kelsey for fantasy, though. I will say mm-hmm. that. I have a lot of flashbacks as a Bills fan to that video where he was just calling the shots with 13 seconds left and telling Patrick Mahomes exactly what they needed ah, to do. Man. And then they did it and yeah, and, and took out my Bills who potentially could have gone on to win the Super Bowl. Maybe we'll rectify that this year. But one thing I will say about the preseason so far, and I joked when we were talking before the show about knocking on wood, might have to knock on wood here is that I feel like we've been pretty lucky avoiding major injuries this year. And oh, I don't, I don't you, know don't if jinx us. I know going into the last week of the preseason, normally <laughs> most of the starters aren't playing. Hopefully nothing's going to happen. I know some guys have gone down. Tim Patrick, my guy, Tim Patrick out for the year. Zach Wilson, he had to undergo surgery, but they're expecting him back early in the season. The one that we don't have a full story on right now, and I guess we shouldn't be that surprised, is Seahawks rookie running back Ken Walker. And I don't know why it always seems to be this situation with Pete Carroll where he's not given us the full picture. He's often (laughs) irrationally hopeful about his assessments to the media. I think I would define it that way. So for this one, we know that Walker underwent a procedure for an injury. They're saying that it's not sports hernia and it's not core muscle operation, but that's about all we got. I don't know if you've seen more than I have, Rich, but that's about all I've seen so far. And after Pete Carroll suggested that maybe Walker would be back for week one, He more recently said that there is no timetable on his Mm -hmm. return. So, Rich, what's your intuition? I mean, we've been doing this for a long time. What's your intuition telling you about this injury? And how are you approaching that Seahawks backfield now with Walker, I think, probably missing a bit of time here? Yeah, so I'm no, uh, you know, injury guru. I kind of just follow the the same news that you do and try to get the source of opinions from all the people that are great at now added that we've that we've added to like the Twitter sphere of fantasy football coverage. Like you know, we've got guys like Edwin Porras and Matthew Betts and uh, you know people that can analyze these injuries. And and by far the most common thing I've seen is like a lot of people were expecting it to be kind of like a four to six week thing, which would bleed into the season. So I would count on him maybe potentially missing a week or two, or even if he's active, being very limited uh to start the season now that doesn't really change like a ton for what you kind of view kenneth walker i mean it doesn't really 
ding him a ton because he was kind of more of like a longer play. You would hope that he would like wrestle away opportunities as the season went on, like say like a like a Nick Chubb did his rookie year, right? Like that's kind of what we were looking for in the yep. situation. And and it might open the door now if he does miss a week or two. You have uh, you know an added element of being able to play Rashad Penny without no threat of a timeshare the opening two weeks. So if you're someone that has gone zero RB or anchor running back, it just adds. I think more intrigued to both of these guys to those roster builds. I mean, we know Seattle wants to run the football. Last year, they were sixth in EPA rushing. They were 11th in total rushing yards. They were third in yards per carry. And this was on a team that was seven and 10 with an objectively terrible offensive line. Uh, you know, Rashad Penny was a big part of that. Uh, you know, we saw the way he closed the season, the final five weeks, I and mean, he was absolutely nuclear those five weeks. I was fortunate to pick him up on a league in a league, and I, I never thought I'd be in debt to Rashad Penny as a league winner, but you know, you know, humble brag uh, for that. But thank you, Mr. Penny. Uh, you paid off first round pick vindicated three years ago. Um, but you know, you look at the opening month. I mean, th- they start off with Denver and San Francisco, not the most appealing game scripts, but they do play Detroit Atlanta. You know, after that, they could be in those games and you can hit kind of up some upside if, you know, Walker's still out. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I'm still this, none of these guys are particularly appealing in a timeshare because we're talking about a team that we don't expect to have a lot of really great game script. And it didn't, like I said, it wasn't a huge factor last year, but the big thing too, is that neither of these guys really catch the football. I mean, Rashad Penny didn't catch the football last year. Kenneth Walker's never caught the football uh, Travis since Homer, high school. Travis Homer, maybe. <laughs> yeah. And, we, and we've already seen that they're playing a guy on third downs. Like they already were removing one of these players on third downs. So None of these guys are like, I'm not like in a rush to get these guys. I think they just fit particular builds. Maybe there's some DFS appealer in the year given prices. Um, but yeah, anchor RB, zero RB approaches. You're kind of hoping for more like long longevity upside. Like I think it's a situation that someone just runs away with the job at some point, literally. Well, I thought it was a good example too of, you know, sometimes we get overconfident about how well we can predict injuries and things like that. And it was very quick that it changed, right? It was Rashad Penny being out and, oh my God, oh, yeah. this unlocks Kenneth Walker. <laughs> and then a few days later, Penny was back healthy and now Walker is out sort of indefinitely here. So things could change again. Penny could start the season and get hurt and all of a sudden Walker comes back a couple weeks into the year and ends up being a, a league winner potentially or maybe not in that offense, but at least a, a long-term fantasy starter for the rest of the season. We'll see how that works out. But that's enough for the the newsy side of things. Let's get to our favorite late round targets. And I'm defining it. I don't know how you define it, Rich. I'm defining it as round 10 or later, let's say. We'll go position by position. I have some names I want to throw out too. We did not share our list beforehand. I like it better that way because I have more than one player I could talk about. I'm sure you have more than one player you could talk about at each position. I think it is telling if we land on the same guys. I think that gives them even more credibility. So we'll kick it off with quarterbacks here. I will let you go first. Who is the late round quarterback that you're targeting? If you end up picking a late round quarterback this year, which I know some people aren't really into it this season, but if you do, who are you going after? Yeah, yeah. I've actually written multiple things about this kind of too, like how just insanely the tide has shifted the past two years where if you're not getting one of these like front end quarterbacks, you've really kind of been holding the bag here. Late round quarterbacks are really hard to navigate the past two years. Uh, our correlation to ADP and setting the market at the position has just been insane. Almost just factoring an ADP to points per game, uh, 58% and 58, 50% the past two years, whereas the previous decade, you know, the, the correlation from ADP to points per game at quarterback position was just 21%. So, I mean, we've more than doubled the accuracy. You know, you look at guys last year that were, 
selected outside of QB1s that were like real long season hits were Joe Burrow and Kirk Cousins. And they were, that's really it. And Burrow was the QB 13 in ADP. And in 2020, there were just three guys and it was Cousins again, Tannehill and Justin Herbert. And Justin Herbert was like really not even being drafted at that point because Tyrod Taylor was starting the season in one quarterback leagues. Um, and in general, when you look at just from a weekly stance last year, top 12 quarterbacks in ADP, accounted for 52% of all QB1 scoring weeks. They accounted for 65% of all top six scoring weeks and 80% of all top three scoring weeks and 16 of 18 of the top scorers on a weekly basis, uh, which is by far like the highest rate. So it has been tough to go lay around quarterback, but if you do find yourself boxed out, I mean, I'm at least going to at least play the position like I always do and say, if I'm going to take any of these guys, I'm going to gamble on Justin Fields, uh, you know, definitely for the brand here. I mean, you, for as bad as he was even last year, his last five starts last year, and that's counting the Ravens game where he left at halftime. He was a QB one score in four of those final final five games. We saw him really start to lean on his legs. He had 56 rushing yards per game over that stretch. And when you look at Justin Fields, it's not like the everything's bad. Like the receivers are bad, the offensive line is bad, but is it really worse than where we left off a year ago when he was posting those QB1 weeks? Um, I think you can debate. It's not. It's definitely not appealing to draft him as a QB1. But, I mean, the way I play fantasy football, like, he's just an archetype I'm going to bet on. Uh, there are a number of other guys I definitely find appealing. I, I used underdog ADP for the, the round same. 10. Yep, so, same. I mean, some of these guys in these best ball leagues get drafted a little higher than they will be in one quarterback leagues, like the Derek Cars of the world. So, like, he kind of missed the cutoff, technically. But, like, those guys are all fine. Like, I think the two is in Derek Cars. I think you can make a really good case. Those guys, Cousins, again, who I named as being a value the last two years. So what you talked about, I'm good at all those guys. Yeah. And, and I'm with you there. Like <laughs> cousins is probably top of my list and you can very easily get a stack. Even if you don't get Justin Jefferson, you could do, you know, Adam Thielen sort of in the, the middle rounds around six, round seven or so. You could get that KJ Osborne later. You know, you can stack some guys with him and we just, we've seen him do it before. He's had a ton of touchdowns the last couple of years and you went over it already. I mean, we don't have to touch on it again. Just if you have these quarterbacks that don't have the rushing ability, everybody wants these sexy dual threat quarterbacks. If the other guys like the Tom Brady's and the Matt Stafford's for them to do it, they need big yardage and they need big touchdown totals. Mm -hmm. And we're hoping that with the new coaching staff, with the increase in volume, with the more modern offense, all the shots that they've been taking at Mike Zimmer and the previous coaching staff, that, you know, potentially Cousins could crank it up a little more here. And, you know, he's had 33 and 35 passing touchdowns the last two years. So it wouldn't be that crazy if things get better there that he gets up over the the 40 touchdown mark or something like that. So definitely interested in him. You mentioned Tua, you know, Tua with better weapons, with better offensive line, potentially better coaching staff there as well. Jameis Winston would be the other one. But like I'm saying, mm-hmm. I mean, all the guys that we're mentioning, it's the situations are being changed a little bit for them. We're trying to get out ahead of that, right? But overall, unless people start taking a backup quarterback on, you should be able to get one of the top 10, top 12 guys without issue, even if you are kind of going past the top 100 picks or so, mm-hmm. you should end up getting one of them. And, and I feel pretty comfortable with the top 10, top 12 quarterbacks. I don't normally go much deeper than that, but those are some of the guys you could look at if you do. Uh, let's go to running back where, and we'll reveal your your late round running back here in a second. This one can be pretty tough because I think that the guys that I was targeting in this range this time of year, like we get out ahead of those ones. And then this time of year, everybody else catches up and ADP catches up. And some of the ADPs have have skyrocketed for some of these guys like a Damian Pierce or a Brian Robinson. So it's kind of a moving target at this point in the year. But 
which running back are you looking at in the late rounds? Yeah, I mean, you even see guys like Rashad White go like even before like double digits sometimes. And, you know, depending how your draft is going and where we're in the zone and how teams have structured their, structured their drafts to where if they're just throwing darts and adding a bunch of these, you know, round eight to 12 guys, you know, because they've gone either wide receiver heavy. Um, two guys I'll bring up. Uh, the first one is a guy kind of hinted upon just that's fallen lately. And that's Coral Patterson, just because when I'm in these late rounds, I mean, really what I'm looking for is receiving ability and like path to opportunity. And we already seen that already existed for Coral Patterson. He's also very clearly the lead guy in the offense based on the preseason. He's played one snap both games so far that they've played. Uh, we know we can catch the football and we like I alluded to earlier with Atlanta so far they've shown that of their first team offense like they're gonna have a different wrinkle in the run game with the QB mobility so that can also help some things out for Coral Patterson the second guy who's more like locked in like you can get more regularly in the late rounds than Coral Patterson is uh Kenneth Gainwell for the same reasons we know he can catch the football remember Kenneth Gainwell didn't even play football two years ago he sat out that last year of college uh, you know, last year, uh, had 101 touches, 500 yards, six touchdowns. We didn't catch the football dating back to college. He had the third down roll last year. He actually had a large red zone roll, which was interesting he with did. the Eagles in year one. Uh, actually, you know, had as many expected points the red zone as Miles Sanders, which was very encouraging. And then the contingent value is obviously very high. Um, we saw that kind of the, the, the week 18 throwaway game, kind of, but this is the best offensive line in the NFL, um, with another quarterback that can run the football and we saw effectively running the football so he's kind of the guy I kind of like glom onto the majority of drafts like I'm always kind of eyeing like oh where can I just tack on Gainwell to rosters yeah he's he's on my list here as well I will say Cordero Patterson if you're in a draft with me Rich you are not getting him in the late rounds because right. I've been grabbing him <laughs> quite a bit earlier and I love when we talk about that that hero RB build I mean I sort of did it in Scott Fishbowl he ended up being my RB2 and then I kept grabbing guys. I got a Damian Pierce. I got some other guys that could help me fill in maybe as the season goes along. If Cordero Patterson starts to break down again, which that is the one concern. But if he gives you anything close to the production that you were getting last year, I will take that for however long I can get it. You know, half the season. Sure, I'll take that. And then I'll figure it out in the second half of the year. Don't you the feel like, like in years past, like he would have probably been coming off of last year. Maybe if he would have finished the season strong too, but don't you feel like he would have been like a, like a fifth round pick like in previous years? It's the reverse Rashad Penny, right? Like Penny didn't do anything <laughs> early in the season. And then he got hot over the last month. He helped everybody win fantasy titles. And now everybody still kind of likes him. And then Kenneth Walker showed up, changed it a little bit, but yeah, with Patterson, he just wasn't there when everybody needed him most. The stats disappeared mm -hmm. and it's the age. Like I get, you know, the, a guy, guy doing it one time when he's over the age of 30 and I get why people would be worried about that but I think they're going to ride him till the wheels come off and you mentioned it I like what they've done this offseason keep him out of OTAs barely play him in the preseason let's make sure that he has every ounce of energy possible to try to go as long as he can during the year as one of the focal points of that offense and they need him I know they have pits I know Drake London looked pretty good before he got hurt he'll be back soon but they need Cordero Patterson as a weapon in that attack for sure I'll say to these, some of the other guys that, that I like going along with the Gainwell thing, I like these guys that they can give you that maybe weekly flex value while also having that upside if the starter goes down. And Gainwell, we saw it last year. I think if you include the playoffs, he had six games where he had at least 40 yards from scrimmage and a touchdown. Like that's outstanding. Now picking those weeks, a little more difficult right. in a regular league versus a best ball league or something like that. But still nice to have that option on your bench when he also could potentially have an immense ceiling 
if Miles Sanders gets hurt or if Miles Sanders struggles and and loses that job, right? So Daryl Henderson, someone, another one of these guys that I think tends to go a little bit earlier. ADP-wise, he qualifies for this, but maybe that's because he's had the soft tissue injury and people haven't seen him over the last few weeks, haven't heard too much about him, but he's someone else that mixed in with Cam Akers and the uncertainty about the Achilles and the talk from the Rams coaching staff that potentially this could be a committee and that they feel like they have two RB1s, all that sort of stuff. We could see Henderson be more involved than if Akers struggles or gets hurt again. And we saw Akers get a little banged up here with a soft tissue injury of his own this preseason that potentially Henderson could end up back in a situation where he's getting a lot of work in a pretty good offense. And Khalil Herbert would be another one for me, kind of almost the exact same as the Gainwell thing. Just a guy in an offense that is expected to be used a little more this year. And if he does get the job, we've already seen him be able to produce when he does it. Any thoughts on those guys? Yeah, I mean, Daryl Henderson obviously stands out. I mean, the interesting thing about Daryl Henderson, and you go back to last year, is when he was able to come back healthy, because remember he was hurt at the start of the postseason when they gave Akers that extended role uh, week one, not week one, uh, you know, the 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 week that they faced the Bucks, uh, the second week, yep. when he was like fully healthy. Yeah, I think he had 27 of 30 backfield touches. Then when it came to the Super Bowl, we saw Daryl Henderson come back and have like that pass catching role. Now he wasn't like, a target earner per se, but we saw that they kind of value in that role. Daryl Henderson led all running backs last year in end zone targets, which is pretty interesting. Uh, so like, you know, they use him on the, these like wheel routes we saw it in the Super Bowl too. They threw another one to him. Uh, I, I'm very curious to see if he just outright even has the pass catching role uh, on that team anyways with Akers healthy. I know McVay has been a guy in past that has played one back when he's had that, but I'm curious if they do actually value Henderson as just an outright guy in that role in general. And we could probably spend a whole episode talking about the, the late round running backs, right? Because for me, that's normally where I'm spending those late round picks. There's the odd receiver that has some upside. We'll talk about those in a moment here, but the late round running backs just an easier path to high end fantasy production because we see it happen every single year. The starters get hurt opportunity opens up and then all of a sudden these running backs that maybe some that were even deep down the depth chart that we didn't even expect to end up getting some pretty good fantasy also weeks. the uh a big thing that that ties into that is uh, something i wrote about too is if you want to be more accurate at, at targeting running backs uh in that kind of area like your bench guys is the you know a lot of people have talked about the quote-unquote dead zone well the one way to use the dead zone to your advantage is historically running backs and backups attached to those guys have hit at the best rate. And, you know, we brought up a guy like Cam Akers is being drafted in that area. Miles Sanders is being drafted in that area, like guys we brought up. So the way to use the dead zone to work for you is you look at those players and you look at those, the, the, the contingent value is typically come from those guys historically. Maybe a reason to add Zamir White to that list yes. as well. Yep. Josh yep. Jacobs, another yep. guy. Michael Carter, uh, even guys like James Robinson, Cleo Herbert, you brought up, Eno Benjamin, uh, yeah, all those guys. All right, let's hit on the late <laughs> round receivers next. Who are you targeting in the, the double digit rounds here when we're looking at receivers? Uh, I mean, almost every draft I'm trying to get Josh Palmer. And I know he had the, con- the concussion. We're going to keep an eye on that through the remainder of the preseason. But we're looking at guys similar to running back have potential to have standalone value being the wide receiver three to attach to Justin Herbert has potential. Uh, no, you know, one they did settle on Josh Palmer towards the end of the season. He, he had some, some viable flexibility. Now you're not, you're getting him as a bench guy. You don't really need to, to, to have that, but he has that kind of offensive attachment. Uh, the Chargers also have our, our second best passing schedule on the season, which is absolutely incredible for like everyone in this offense. The problem is everyone's real expensive outside of Josh Palmer and Gerald Everett. Also, Gerald Everett hasn't been that good in the NFL. So he might just be <laughs> lean. Josh Palmer might have a larger role by default. Also, when we, in contingent value, 
I mean, he's got multiple pathways here. A Keenan Allen injury. He's already shown he's versatile. He can play in the slot and outside. Mike Williams gets hurt. Mike Williams was hurt last year. And with Mike Williams off the field last year, Josh Palmer actually led the Chargers with a 20% target share on those routes run, even ahead of Keenan Allen, when they were both on the field together without Mike Williams. So, I mean, he's exactly what I look for as like a bench receiver because he might have a path to like value being a wide receiver there in an elite offense and then contingent value just like hit it with a hammer. And Herbert belongs in the conversation with the Josh Allens and the Patrick Mahomes. Like that's one where I think people know that he's good. I don't think people realize how good he is, and maybe this will be the year. Maybe that that offense will just go to another level this season. I also love what they're doing the offensive line there, right? Just like slowly building it up here, giving them they have four pretty good linemen there now. And plus, if you have Chargers guys, like you have to just be enamored with like you're you're playing for a coach that wants to score touchdowns. Yep. Like, that's such a big thing. It's such a, a betting thing, too. Like, betting with the Chargers is always fun because, you know, like, their coach is trying to score points and score touchdowns. And uh, that's something, like, we can't, like, overly factor into fantasy and stuff. But it's nice to have as, like, a layer uh, later on to have. For sure. I'll knock up just a couple mm-hmm. of the obvious ones that are going to go ahead of this. But maybe in your league, maybe people won't in some of the more casual home leagues. The George Pickens, the the Romeo Dubs, they're probably going to be going before the late round range at this point. But just in case, I want to make sure they're on everybody's radar. Rich, the one that shocks me, the one that, and I talked about him on Tuesday's show, Jahan Dotson, first round receiver from what I've seen, from what we've heard, has done nothing but impress in commander's practices. Looked pretty good in his first preseason action, two catches, 23 yards, locked in as a starter in Washington. I don't understand like why he isn't getting more love. He's going like outside of the top 60 receivers right now. You can get him so late in drafts. Why isn't he getting the same kind of love? I'm not expecting you to answer this. I know you're probably not on the opposite side of this, but I just don't understand why he's not getting the same kind of love that some of the other high-end rookies some of these other hyped rookies are getting i i go back to rookie drafts and it was very apparent that like he was going to be the dude i was going to end up with like the most of because he, he first of all washington took him at pick 16 overall like there's like clear investment that there that you were just going to take a bet on and then in rookie drafts he's going after guys like christian watson and sky Moore, who were taken significantly later just because of the the landing spot compared to those two but like the landing spot's pretty fluid and that's still what's keeping him down I think I mean we're kind of hoping Carson Wentz can be enough to get Terry McLaurin over the hump let alone sport two people but Jahan Dotson is uber talented I mean this is a guy when you go back to like his Penn State and I'm no tape guru but like the dude was always open and like his he had some of the worst quarterback play I've witnessed the last few years of like watching guys come into the NFL um he also just like what a like a ridiculous catch like maven he is like almost every catch he had would like had like a a level nine degree difficulty to at Penn State uh there's another attachment to that quarterback but I mean he's a guy like I just hammered I got him in so many rookie drafts I'm with you I have no problem adding him uh you know especially late rookie picks that have path to opportunities like these are like these are guys you want to invest in guys on the the age spectrum of still climbing up in their careers they don't have a lot of stuff priced in you've got draft pedigree uh and then you you know typically want offensive attachment to as well which is maybe the the one strike he doesn't have um but i'm I'm with you on it i mean i've got him so many rookie shares of john dots that i need him all to hit i'll throw some others out too here kj osmore we already talked about isaiah mckenzie on the bills he's established himself as the starting slot guy there a more explosive weapon than Cole Beasley was. Now we'll just see if he can command the same kind of target share that Cole Beasley got in that offense. And then Nico Collins, outside of Brandon Cooks, the Texans could really use a second option in that passing game. And Collins, third round pick last year, sounds like he might be coming into his own this season based on what the beat writers are reporting. Went four for 48 and a touchdown in the preseason game this week. 
it just comes down to Davis Mills because Davis Mills is going to need to take a step forward as well if we're going to get someone else in that offense producing outside of Brandon Cook. So I think it's pretty realistic that Davis Mills could be good enough to support two guys in that offense considering how well he fared last year as a third round rookie quarterback. So Collins is on that late round list for me as well. We'll wrap it up here with tight ends, Rich. This is a position where you can often find decent fantasy starters, low end tight end ones, maybe mid-range tight end ones, even if you hit on the right guy. Almost impossible to find someone who's going to contend with the elite tight ends, right? Just the volume won't be there, but you can find some intriguing starters. I know you mentioned earlier, you're not taking elite tight ends very often. So maybe this is an area you're going after. Who is that for you among the tight ends in terms of late round guys this year? Yeah, well, it's hard to get a guy to contend to being like a tight end one in the late rounds. We do know that on average, there are four tight ends per season taken outside of the top 12 tight ends that end up as tight end ones. So at least you got that. Like you might, you might run into something. Are you going to contend with Travis Kelsey? Probably not, but you might get <laughs> you might run into some, you know, like Dalton Schultz last year. To me, it's, it isn't, I don't waver it off this guy. I've talked about him the entire summer and no one cares. It's pretty easily David Njoku for me. Uh, you know, I'm looking for guys at this point that are one, again, we talked about are on the age spectrum. This guy just, he just turned 26 years old in July, got the pedigree, former first round pick. Does he have a pathway to targets? Absolutely. After Amari Cooper, like this thing is wide open for him to contend to be at least number two on this team in targets. Uh, is he explosive at the tight end position? Can he, like, can he like, create on his own? Absolutely. Average 13 yards per catch last year, nine yards per target. Uh, he only ran 305 pass routes last year. Uh, that's going to go way up this year and also when you look at the types of targets David Njoku's earned over the course of his career when you look at the top 30 tight ends in ADP he's first among those 30 tight ends in rate of targets that are deep targets 24% of his career targets are deep targets 15 yards or further downfield he's third amongst the same group in rate of targets that come in the end zone 12% of his career targets have come in the end zone uh you know and then also you factor in now that this Deshaun Watson news has kept him low Jacoby Brissett has targeted tight ends immensely in his career. Only Lamar Jackson and Carson Wentz, among active starting quarterbacks, have targeted tight ends more than than Jacoby Brissett. Twenty nine percent, twenty nine percent of his career pass attempts. Uh, so pretty easily for me, nothing's really wavered. Uh, I'm, I'll gladly take take a David Njoku where he's going uh, on that swing. Uh, you know, real deep in drafts. Yeah, Njoku's on my list as well. I, I really like him. I don't so much love investing in that Browns offense just because sure. late in the season I don't want to be having to root. For a Deshaun Watson led offense, but I'm with you that Njoku. I mean, we've already seen him do it. We've already seen him put up a, a 600 yard season. We know that he can do it if he gets the opportunity. And really, and I talked about this during our tight end preview episode, that if you're looking for these late round tight ends, you want to ideally try to find a guy who is the de facto number one or number two receiver in his offense. There aren't many that are the number one receiver, but there are quite a few that could be the number two. And Joku would be there. My guy here, an obvious one. People have heard me discuss him all offseason. It's Cole Komet. I won't spend too much time on it, but you know, finished top 12 among tight ends in receptions last year with 60 catches in yards with 612 yards. Allen Robinson gone now. Weirdly, maybe more important for Komet, Jimmy Graham out of the way. And no Jimmy Graham stealing those red zone looks, which is really the only thing that prevented Komet from sneaking into the top 12 last year. If he had four or five touchdowns, he would have been right there on the fringe as a low-end tight end one. So he's my favorite in that area. Another guy that might sneak up a little higher than the, the late rounds, but you can often get him there. And if we want to go like super late, Rich, I kind of like Austin Hooper. And he's a guy that probably won't even go drafted. You could probably get him after the first week off the waiver wire. 
I never thought that I would be back in on Austin Hooper after those Falcons days when the fantasy production was so inflated by volume. We knew he was going to be good then. He goes to Cleveland. I think we pretty much knew he wasn't going to pan out in Cleveland. He wasn't going to get the same kind of volume. Now he's with Tennessee where they need him. If Traylon Burks, if it takes him a little while to become a consistent contributor in that offense, and right now from what we've seen, it might be a little while. He might not be a really big part of that offense in the first month or so. This passing attack is going to be primarily Robert Woods and Hooper. So Hooper probably, like I said, probably more of that waiver wire pickup. I think he's going so late that he won't be drafted many places, but I've got a lot of him in deep best ball leagues. Yeah, I don't hate it. Uh, you know, also too, I don't want to, if you're in those like tight end premium leagues late, I also don't want to completely fuzz out the candle on Mo Ali Cox. Uh, you know, you know, he's the guy every that, year. Yeah, every year. But I mean, he got the big payday again. Like they, they immediately brought him back. Uh, we've seen how Matt Ryan treats tight ends, you know, in the red zone before. I'm very in- intrigued by how the Colts are going to run their red zone offense anyways, because not only do you have Jonathan Taylor, uh, they've just got trees everywhere. Yeah. I mean, uh, you talk about Alec Pierce, Michael Pittman, Molly Cox, Jelani Woods, Kyle Grant. Like, they just got big dudes everywhere. Uh, so I'm curious to see how this puts together. But uh, I think there's some still some touchdown upside for, for the Mack truck. All right. Well, that is all for today's <laughs> show. Make sure you're following Rich on Twitter at Lord Reeves. Make sure you're checking out all of his work over at Sharp Football Analysis. We love having him on. One of the most easygoing guys in the industry. Just an incredibly savvy analyst as well. Rich, I feel like we could talk for hours. I love that you spend time with us. Thank you so much, dude. Anything you're working on that you want to direct people towards before we uh, let you go here? I mean, all my work uh, is over at Sharp Football Analysis. I mean, that includes, you know, over 50 free articles I've done this summer on content based on this season. Uh, draft guide stuff is all up now, how I'm drafting. And, you know, just ready for the season. Ready to start talking to you guys about these games. I love it. Uh, as for us... Score Fantasy Football Draft Kit continues to be updated daily as well. I mentioned on Tuesday's show, I'm going to be out of town for a wedding this weekend, so no Friday episode this week, but we'll be back Monday to run through the biggest takeaways from the final week of preseason action. So until then, big thanks again to Rich. Big thanks to everybody out there for listening, and we'll see you next time. Said leave on time, my baby said leave on time. Leave on time with me tonight.